Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we're going to continue our study of the book of Ecclesiastes uh, tonight under this title, Life, How Then Should We Live? We have seen a lot to this point from the uh, pen of Solomon about how we shouldn't live, um, and he's teaching us from personal experience, and he's teaching us from the uh, trials and tribulations that he experienced uh, during a, a point in time in his life when, excuse me, he had turned away from God and, and uh, in, his, in, in his way of putting it, began living life under the sun. Um, in other words, with no, uh, with no thought of God, uh, with no uh, inclusion of God in his life. And uh, the bottom line is it didn't work well for him. Uh, it just didn't go well for him at all. And so we've learned some things about that. And, and he addresses a lot of things um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, as we'll see uh, tonight. A man by the name of Simon Weisenthal survived the Holocaust of, uh, Holocaust of World War II, uh, but unfortunately his faith in God did not survive. Uh, he once told the story of watching a Nazi commander uh, shackle two Jews together back to back. And the commander then pushed his revolver uh, into the mouth of one of the victims and he pulled the trigger. And one bullet killed both men. And then turning to his soldiers, the commander said, See, I told you there's no need to waste bullets. You can kill two with one. Weisensaul concluded in his own words, When I saw the oppression and the wickedness and the injustice of that act, I could not comprehend it, and I turned from God. On more than a, than a few occasions, the oppression and wickedness and injustice in the world that we live in has served only to increase the skepticism of unbelievers. But not only that, but oftentimes these same things have proven to be a challenge to the faith of many Bible-believing Christians as well, uh, down through the ages. And in his opening words of chapter 4, Solomon addresses two things, and we'll look at those tonight, beginning in verse 1. Solomon addresses the oppressed. Look at it, Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 1. So I returned and considered all the oppression or oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. So Solomon's pity fell towards the weak and the helpless as they were oppressed, by the strong and powerful. History is chock full of stories in which 
those with political, financial, and even religious power has used that power to commit great numbers of atrocities against those who have little or no power. I mean, right here in, in the scriptures, we uh, were reminded of, of the Jews as they lived in Egypt and as Pharaoh oppressed them. Uh, he was a, a hard taskmaster and he did not treat them well and they suffered much as God's people under the hand of, of, of the ruler Pharaoh in Egypt. But it didn't stop there for the Jews. Coming into more modern uh, times, though, though it's been a while, uh, there was Adolf Hitler's barbaric treatment of the Jewish people during the, the Holocaust. Uh, and, and really, you read some of the things that went on there like we just read. I mean, some of those things are just unfathomable. Some of those things are, are, are so incredibly barbaric, and they were committed by people with power against people who had no power. And then we come into more modern times. There have been, <coughs> excuse me, there have been men like the former dictator of Cuba, uh, Fidel Castro, whose reign of terror was described as one of firing squads, theft, unimaginable suffering, poverty, and the denial of fundamental human rights. Presently, there's North Korea's Kim Jong-un, whose atrocities include extermination, murder, enslavement, torture, imprisonment, rape, forced abortions, and other sexual violence, and persecution on political, <coughs> religious, racial, and gender grounds. And none of that is to mention what goes on right here in our own community as young children suffer <clears throat> the oppressive treatment at the hands of an alcoholic father or a drug-addicted mother or some morally depraved, perverted person. I mean, injustice and oppression are in existence everywhere. And it's those with power abusing and oppressing those with no power. In Solomon's opinion, uh, these kinds of people would have been better off not having been born, talking about those who've been oppressed. Said it, he tells us in verses 2 and 3, we'll look at it in a minute, he tells us it would have been better that they had never lived than to have had to suffer the things that they've suffered. Look at it, verse 2. Wherefore I praised the dead, which are already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. Yea, better is he than both they, which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. So you, you see what Solomon's saying there. He's saying he praised those who are now dead and they no longer have to deal with uh, the oppression that, that happens 
uh, under the sun. But he said, better yet, are, are those, he says there in, in verse 3, that they've not even been born. Better than those who've gone through it and now have died and those who are currently going through it are those who've never been born and, and, and those who, uh, who've never gone through it have never seen it. And in essence, what he's saying is that it would probably be better not to bring children into the world. And you've heard that argument. And on some levels, I get it. I do. Um, I was just reading today uh, something about it, that a, uh, a para, not in our, in our system, but in the school system, uh, posted on Facebook, and, and uh, it was alarming. And, and I know this person, and my response was this, um, that I fear for my grandchildren. I do. I fear for Mallory and, and Kevin and Callie and Ellie and Huck and Leroy. I, I fear for them and the culture that they're going to be forced to grow up in. Mom and Dad, listen to me. Grandparents, listen to me. Our responsibility is greater than ever. Amen. It is greater than ever to teach our children the ways of the Lord. They will be more like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego than we've ever thought. It, it's, it's crazy. And it's not getting better. And we, need to be, we need to be diligent as parents and grandparents to take advantage of those teachable moments, as little as they may be. Because here's what you're going to find. You're going to be surprised at how those things stick, stick in the minds of little ones and one day they're going to be faced in a situation and they're going to remember something that Grammy told them a long time ago something that, that dad told them during family devotions a long time ago and I know that and some of you can attest to this as well I'm sure as your children become adults and you begin watching them grow into adulthood the decisions they make and the things they say and the things they repeat back to you are things that you said to them when they were growing up and you thought, ah, they're not paying attention. They are paying attention. And those things stay with them. Have you ever cursed the day you were born? I've talked to people over the years in, in different situations who said, uh, to me something like this, I, I just wish the Lord would take me home. You know, there's the man in the Bible who had that same attitude. His name was Elijah. And Elijah said in 1 Kings chapter 9, or excuse me, chapter 19 and verse 4, he was so discouraged and so depressed and so low, he said, it is enough. I'm done. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Let's face it, it's easy sometimes to grow weary, is it not? It is. It's easy to grow weary and become discouraged as we witness the great number of injustices in our society. However, we, we've got to remember tonight that we're not seeing things from the same perspective that God sees them. The psalmist had this struggle, and we saw it in our last message, 
It seemed like it was ages ago. Uh, but from Psalm chapter 73, if you remember, he, he shares his frustration with looking at how easy life seems to be for the unjust and uh, for the ungodly and for those that mock God and make fun of God and, and their life seems to be without struggle and without issue and, and yet you've got people who love God and serve God and it just seems like it's one thing right after another that come against them and, and he was perplexed about that and he was struggling with that and he was very, very honest about, about those struggles. But then he said toward the end of the chapter, he said, when I thought on this, it was too painful for me. And then look what he said. Until, there's a typo there, but I wasn't going to mess with it because I didn't want to go back to McDonald's. <laughs> Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Translated, there is a payday someday. And yes, there are injustices, and there is oppression, and there is unfairness, and there are things that, from our perspective, that, that just seem unjust and not right and evil. And, 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 and like the psalmist, we can get all wrapped up in that. But then we come to church, like on a Wednesday night, and we're reminded that this life is not all there is. So yeah, the, the unjust, they get ahead. The, the, the evildoers, they seem to prosper. And by the way, he's not rejoicing here. This is not something that he's boasting in and, and he's happy about uh, the end of the unjust. That's not his point. His point is, I went to church and God reminded me that this world is not all there is. That God's going to, well, why doesn't God do something about it? Listen, God is going to do something about it. You read the end of the book. God's going to do something about it. And right now, it's up to us to just trust and believe and obey and serve and do the things that, that we know are right. God's perspective is based on things like his love and his grace and his eternal purposes which allow him to see the big picture. And the only thing we have to go by is our finite understanding of spiritual things, which limits us sometimes from seeing what God sees. And that's when faith, listen church, that's when faith comes into play. Faith, like that of a man named Charles Tindley. Charles Tindley was born into slavery and 1851. After the Civil War, he moved to Philadelphia, <clears throat> where he began attending church, and eventually found Christ as his Savior. His story is an amazing one as he rose, listen, as he rose from janitor to pastor. And at the time of his death, his church had an average attendance of about 12,500 members. Charles Tindley was no stranger to oppression as he faced racial injustice and false accusations and plain mistreatment. 
when he was up for a bishop's position, a competing minister told him face to face, listen to this, you are an unlettered ignoramus. You know you are not educationally fit to be a bishop. An anonymous letter accused him of immorality and he was denied the position. After losing his wife and his son to death, Tinley himself died and was buried in an unmarked grave. Tinley channeled the burden of his suffering into some wonderful music. One such song was titled, I'll Overcome Someday. We're more familiar with the title, We Shall Overcome, which was the theme song of the civil rights era. He also wrote such hymns as Stand By Me, Nothing Between My Soul and the Savior, and Take Your Burden to the Lord and Leave It There, something that he had learned to do. One of his most well-known and often sung hymns goes something like this, We're often destitute of the things that life demands, one of food and one of shelter, thirsty hills and barren lands. We are trusting in the Lord, and according to his word, we'll understand it better by and by. Trials dark on every hand, and we cannot understand all the ways that God would lead us to that blessed promised land. But he guides us with his eye, and we'll follow till we die, for we'll understand it better by and by. Temptations, hidden snares often take us unawares. And our hearts are made to bleed for a thoughtless word or deed. And we wonder why the test when we try to do our best, but we'll understand it better by and by. I think the answer to much of what we witness in the form of oppression really will never be known this side of eternity. But for sure we'll understand it better by and by. So for now, we live by faith, and we trust the one who saved us and keeps us saved and sustains us every day, and we trust that he knows best. Not only did Solomon address the oppressed here, but he also addressed the obsessed. Look at it as we go on, verse 4. First of all, Solomon addresses those who are obsessed with envy and jealousy. Look at it, verse 4, again, I considered all travail and every right work that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The picture here is that of a person who, and they could be male or female, but they, they work very hard and they're very successful at what they do. And rather than celebrating their success, their fellow employees envy them and are jealous. A website called Personnel Today, it's a human resource, it's a website for human resource managers in the workforce, and they ran an article titled, Professional Jealousy Grips the Nation. And in that article they said this, almost nine out of 10 office workers suffer from professional envy of colleagues they perceive to have more glamorous or better paid jobs, according to a survey by Office Angels. 
The survey of 1,500 office workers by the recruitment consultancy found more than two-thirds of respondents felt professional jealousy toward friends who made their own working life appear bland in comparison. Almost a third envy a partner or spouse's job, while a fifth feel jealous of a work colleague who is further up the career ladder. Now listen, that's real life. That happens. It happens in your office. It happens in your shop. It happens in your classroom. It happens on your team. Professional envy. You're working hard or somebody else is working hard and they're succeeding and they've been promoted and, and they're climbing and, and they're going. And there's always going to be somebody who, if they could, would reach out and grab them by the heel and pull them down. I hope that's not you tonight. As a matter of fact, I hope you're the one that's working hard. And you're loyal and you're honest and you're ethical. Listen, all of us, all of us, and, and Lord willing, I'm going to preach about this Sunday morning, the life of Joseph. We're going to, we're going to talk about work, the Labor Day weekend, and, and work is honorable. And, and the Bible has a lot to say about work. And Joseph was in a position uh, where not only was he an employee, but he was a leader. And we're going to talk about, uh, perhaps if the Lord continues to lead that way, we're going to, we're going to talk about how how you ought to approach your work. And if you're in a, a leadership position to work, what kind of leader you should be in that position? What kind of employer you should be? But all of us desire to be the best we can be, and there's nothing wrong with that. And we should work hard at achieving uh, that goal of being the best employee uh, in, in, the, in, the, in, in the office or wherever. But at the same time, we should not be envious Listen, we should not be envious of those who achieve, achieve greater success because at that point, listen, at that point, we put ourselves in a dangerous situation. When being first, listen, when being first becomes our obsession, then it can easily become more important than being honest or ethical or even moral. Let me say that again. When being first becomes our obsession, wherever we're at, then it can easily become more important. That is, being first it can become more important than being honest, or being ethical, or even being moral. In verse 5, Solomon goes from one extreme to the other. Look at it. We just considered those who work hard and succeed. Now Solomon addresses those who don't work at all. So they're obsessed with laziness. Look at verse 5. You still with me tonight? I'm hustling. The fool, look at this verse 5. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Pretty picturesque there. Unlike the person who is willing to, to work for everything, there are some people, it seems, who would rather eat their own flesh than do an honest day's work to get something to eat. 
Amen. A quick read of the Proverbs. When in, I'm sure Pastor Tyler will get to this sometime in 2025 or 26. As he preaches through the book of Proverbs, which has been great, by the way. It's been enlightening. But a quick read of Proverbs would reveal that Solomon had no tolerance for lazy people. None. Zero. Zippo. He had no pity, no compassion for lazy people. David Jeremiah made this observation about what happens when laziness becomes a person's lot in life. And I forgot to put it up there, but I didn't want to go back to McDonald's. <laughs> he writes this, lethargy sets in, self-respect plummets, and relationships weaken. And don't forget that for every lazy person, society pays a price. The unproductive become social burdens in various ways. Hey, preacher, that's heartless. No, that's reality. That's biblical truth. I mean, it's just that simple. That's biblical truth. And listen, I understand. I understand. That there are certain situations and circumstances. I get that. But you'd be hard-pressed to convince me that that is true of the majority. Now, I don't want to, want to venture off too far here because we're at the end. But I struggle. When I come to a stoplight, and a guy's holding a sign for food in one hand and smoking a cigarette with the other. I struggle. You know how much cigarettes cost? Some of you tell me. <laughs> I hope maybe somebody jump on that. <laughs> Didn't work. How much? <coughs> what? Seven dollars. She says $7 a pack. Hey, I should ask that question in North Carolina. But listen, listen. There's just something wrong with that picture. If you can afford cigarettes, then you can afford a Big Mac. I don't need to buy a Big Mac for you. All right, I'm going to stop. Some of you are just going, ah, preacher, you're crazy. Look at verse 6. We're done. Well, almost done. Preacher done. Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Solomon strikes a perfect balance here. Because there, there is a ditch on both sides of this road, so to speak. On the one side, there is the danger of being so driven you work too much. And that's a reality. Come on now. Being so driven, it's just work, 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 and everything else, I mean everything else, takes a back seat. God and family and friends and it just all takes a back seat. 
But on the other hand, again, there are those who don't work at all. And there's nothing wrong with working hard. And there's nothing wrong with making a good living. Unless we work so hard that we have no time to enjoy its benefits. Too much work and too much profit can result, Solomon said, in travail and vexation of spirit. Now, turn back to the book of Proverbs with me real quick. Uh, Solomon understood uh, the importance of balance. Look at it, Proverbs chapter 15. We're going to read three verses here, and, and, or three, three passages here and be done. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 16. He just, he just reinforces what he's already said. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Chapter 16 and verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. And then chapter 30 and verse 8. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Now watch this, church. Verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. All right, we're striking a balance here. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food. What's that next word? Convenient for me. And here's why. Lest I be full and deny thee, and say, who is the Lord? Or, lest I be poor, and steal, and take the name of my God in vain. So there's a right balance. God, you don't have to make me rich. Lord, I don't want to be poor. Just, just give me enough to live on. So I don't get to the place where I say, look what I've done, and I forget God. Or I come to the other end of the spectrum, and I end up being a thief and dishonoring the, the, the name and the glory of God. Paul had it right when he wrote in Hebrews 13, 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Listen, you'll never be without anything because you've always got the Lord. And then he was right also when he said this, verse 6 of 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment, contentment is great gain. 